Hi, I'm Kema, and you're listening to WZOY News Committee's Fall 2019 podcast. Our theme this semester was Nobody Cares or Because I Care, and we've got three episodes that I'm super excited to share with you. Each episode will include about four segments from different members of our committee. In this first episode, topics include student-athletes, care and education, underappreciated majors, and defining success. So here we go. Hi, my name is Hiso, and I have with me two Wellesley College athletes, and we're going to talk about our high school and their college sport experiences. Can you introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Elizabeth Park. Hi, I'm Lydia Troy. What sports do you guys play? We swim. Yeah, we're both on the swim team. Great. Did you only swim in high school, too? Yes. Well, we, we swam for, like, club. Club and varsity. Well, I played tennis and lacrosse in high school. And when I was coming up with this topic, well, I was talking to my friend and she told me to talk about like how different it was for boys sports and girls sports. And from my experience, we had to advertise it way more than the boys sports to like make people come. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. I think in my high school, the sports for guys definitely got more publicity and attention than the girls' sports did. Partly because the guys, they did do better in most sports than the girls did, but I'd say in general, the guys definitely got more attention. Because mm. for me, our lacrosse team was, well, maybe not better skills-wise, but in their own leagues, my team was better than the boys' team. Mm. And the boys' team still got more people just there like why aren't people coming to our games you know what about you Lydia like at my high school no one really came to like some meets but like basketball or like volleyball games especially volleyball girls team was like way better than the guys team but then like for girls would always be from like three to five and the guys Mm. would play from like five to seven Mm. so then obviously people can make the five to seven game more because like some people will have classes and like afternoon activities Mm -hmm. that go until like five so then they always made made sure that the guys sports games are at a time where more people can come and more people did show up to guys games even though the guys are always like worse than the girls <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah but I'm not a college athlete but you guys are and we're at a women's college now and I was just wondering how is it different because do you even like remember having a boys team that was more popular because there's none of that here anymore um well in high school the guys and girls for swim and dive had different seasons so but they did overlap for a little bit But definitely here at Wellesley, it's a very healthy and positive environment on the team. And so far, I think I've been really enjoying it. And it's it's nice not having to compete with like guys over either facilities or like publicity. For me, like our swim team was combined at my old high school. So we didn't have a separate like girls or boys team. So it's like a bit different. But then just like looking at other sports, the guys definitely got more attention in that. Wellesley it's like nice like what Elizabeth said it's nice to just have the women's like college team and just compete against other women's colleges and yeah I think it's more fun yeah okay maybe this is a little off topic but do you guys feel like you guys get enough attention at Wellesley well sports in general but also like swim and dive do you guys get enough supporters um I say like 
in general, swimming doesn't get, yeah. it's pretty underrepresented in the sports world. Mm. But yeah, I think more people will go to like volleyball or basketball games mm. than go to swim meets. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's just that's just swimming. Like no one really wants to sit that's, like that's, on yes. deck because it gets hot and like. Well, because swimming is more of an individual, individual sport. sport yeah. But we do really well here at Wellesley, so we should get more. Yeah, we're doing really well. So yeah. People should come. Come to our swim meets. <laughs> Well, okay, we're going to end on that note. I should definitely go support you guys. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. For WZLY News, this is Carrie Gottfried. Today, we'll be talking about the role of care in education. And that care starts with teachers. For most college students, they've been an important part of our lives since pretty much forever, and Wellesley students are no exception. My name is Erin Sullivan. I'm a senior at Wellesley College, and I would say that out of all my teachers, probably around five or six have been ones that I've really liked because they actually cared about their students and how we were doing outside of school as well. Chances are you've had at least one teacher you really liked, maybe more. Now, I don't have any hard evidence, but from a completely not random sample of about 80 current Wellesley students, all but one had at least one good teacher between kindergarten and 12th grade. And I bet those teachers had at least one thing in common. They cared. For more on the role of caring in education, we'll turn to an expert in the field. My name is Deepa Vasudevan, and I am a visiting lecturer in the education department. And I'm currently teaching um, a course called Understanding and Improving Schools. Care can mean a lot of things in education. Um, for me personally, it's about building relationships um, with my students so that they feel cared for in a way that also affects um, the kind of learning um, that I hope that they can be part of in our classroom. Uh, and. Um, I also care deeply about the topics that we talk about in education, and so that's another form of care that I think is, is part of this, is that like everyone who takes this class is also curious or passionate about understanding their educational experiences, and also thinking about that in the context of uh, schooling in the United States. So there's different types of care, care about the topic, but then also caring for each other in the classroom community. As a student in that class, I can attest to the level of care that we experience in the classroom. Not only are all of us invested in the conversations we have in class, but also in the lives and experiences of our classmates. I really feel like part of our classroom dynamic should also help us think about, well, how does this relate to my own life? I think when I first think about care and education, I actually think of my mom. Um, and. And that's probably just because she was just so excited to um, be a part of our educational experiences by reading to us growing up, um, kind of getting very animated when we had projects that we would bring home. Um, and so I think kind of care extends uh, beyond schools. And I, and I think about sort of those early moments of care that are related to learning at home. Of course, care is not always about comfort and encouragement. Sometimes it takes on the form of tough love, where teachers might push you hard 
but in the end, it's because they care. I do think that's a different type of care that's important to talk about in, in education, where they were like, yeah, okay, you, it's so clear, like, you enjoy what you're doing, but I'm going to push you on, on something to make it more challenging for you. I didn't always, I wasn't always receptive to that care when someone was a little more demanding of me because I thought I was doing something wrong um, or I felt like it was, you know, something where they didn't like me anymore. Uh, but now looking back, I was like, oh no, they were, they cared about me and they wanted to challenge me. And so part of them showing care was, was making sure that I was constantly um, improving myself. Um, and some, sometimes that, that feels like tough love. Tough love or not, there's a lot that educators can do to demonstrate care for their students, whether it's by paying attention to their lives or helping them achieve their fullest potential. Good teachers show to their students every day that it's because they care. For WZLY News, this is Carrie Gottfried. My name is Alex, and you're listening to WZLY's podcast. When I think of the phrase, nobody cares, I think of my major and what it means to major in something frequently perceived as useless. I came into Wellesley as a poli-sci major. I had vague aspirations of wanting to help people, maybe make the world a better place, and I liked reading the news. I knew I couldn't cut it in something like physics or economics, anything pretty much that involved math. It felt right to tell people I was going to major in poli-sci. It made sense. Then I took comparative politics and very quickly realized that I hated poli-sci. Part of it was the intense focus on theory that, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't relate to. Part of it was the other students who intimidated me with their competitiveness. Part of it was its insistence on impartiality when impartiality seemed impossible. Maybe had I stuck it out, these problems would have dissipated along with my other first-year insecurities, like my self-consciousness in the dining hall and my crush on an unattainable upperclassman. Maybe I would have found a way to push through my comparative politics woes and, beneath them, found a true love for the theories I thought I could never make sense of. Maybe I would have even found new meaning in pushing through something difficult, realized the power of my own perseverance. You know. Anyways. Maybe I would have if my professor hadn't brought up the Peace and Justice Studies program. Peace and Justice Studies is a relatively new field, but probably not as new as you think it is. It started cropping up at universities around the time of the Cold War, as a counterpoint to the increasingly reactionary, pro-war fields of international relations and political science. Most schools have some version of it, whether they call it peace studies or conflict studies or social justice studies. It's pitched as a more interdisciplinary approach to the traditional fields of international relations and politics, with a focus on social justice. I heard all that, and I thought it sounded perfect. Exactly what I wanted to be doing with my time at college. It's been a year since I took that fateful poli-sci class. I'm a sophomore now, nearing the end of my third semester at Wellesley, and peace and justice studies still feels like the right choice. But there are times I doubt it, usually, if I'm being honest, when I'm home for the holidays and a well-meaning relative asks what I'm majoring in. It entails an explanation, and sometimes I can see their eyebrows raise. I imagine what they're thinking. Wow, all the work to go to that school and she decides to major in hippie studies? Sometimes I think they're onto something. There's definitely a level of privilege apparent in my choice of major. A newspaper headline I read last year summed it up. Rich kids major in English. 
The same could be said of my, of my, of my major, rich kids major in peace and justice studies. Of course, that's overly broad, but I do wonder if I would have chosen something more practical or potentially lucrative if my family was less financially stable. I've always thought that I don't particularly need a high-paying career, but that assumption is also founded on a certainty in my future that all, not all of my peers have. But still, the assumption that major correlates to, to success after college also isn't necessarily true, I tell myself. People major in all sorts of things, hold all, all sorts of jobs, and go on to have careers that may be related to what they studied in college or not at all. The skills I'm learning in my classes, my teachers remind me, are far from the airy-fairy ideas that critics imagine peace and justice studies to be. They're applicable, rooted in real-world problems. And these concepts of hard versus soft fields of study are not only baseless, they're also gendered. Think about it. The majors we covet and hold up as high-earning and practical are all decidedly masculine. Not only dominated by men, but also associated with masculine stereotypes, like a lack of emotion and an impartiality. Think econ, computer science, physics, and no shade at all to my STEM-oriented sibs. The insults lobbed at less practical majors are also decidedly feminized, overly emotional, impractical, too soft. I submitted my major application for my useless major last month, and as I closed my computer and walked out of my dorm that day, I didn't feel the guilt and complicated feelings I'd felt towards my major in the past. It wasn't that they were gone. I'd continue to grapple with my decision for many more days to come probably right up until the point of graduation. It was just that, in that moment, I was more focused on the pride I felt in myself. This felt like one of the first concrete adult decisions I'd made, a small assertion of my confidence in myself and my abilities in a world of uncertainty. In that moment, my major didn't feel useless. It felt like a small victory. the first semester of college a lot of questions come up about why we're here and what we want to do with our lives because this is sort of the beginning of our adulthood um and with that success has been on my mind so I invited my friend Jess to talk about how she defines success and we had a really great conversation hope you enjoy um what does success mean to you like how do you define it okay so I feel like when I think about a successful future there aren't any specific things that I have it's really just that like I'm content with wherever I am um, and like I don't know what that is right now whether I'm like with someone else or like by myself or like I have a cold job because I don't I don't think my values are gonna be exactly the same when I'm like 25 as they are now because I'm like kind of still a child um going off of that do you think that the way like your parents raised you or your childhood has defined what success means to you? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I have the privilege to define success for myself. Whereas like I see my parents, like for them, success was really heavily hinged on like their parents' experiences because they know that their parents like gave up a lot more mm -hmm. in order for de them to have like a comfortable life. But I feel like for me, since I'm like two generations removed from, you know, my grandparents, I have more freedom in like choosing what I want to do. And like, I don't feel as much pressure to be like, oh, I have to repay like my family in this way. Cause my parents have raised me to be like, no, like whatever makes you happy is successful for us yeah. to like see that. Right. So that's, 
that's nice. Yeah. That's nice to know. Yeah, no, I think also desperation definitely drives yeah. uh, <laughs> what defines success. Yeah. yeah, because for my parents, they came to this country with zero dollars and they had to fix that really quickly. Right. So they yeah. worked for they worked for money. Um, yeah. And I am the recipient of that, but then that also comes with, uh, yeah, a great amount of privilege to picking out what I want to do with my life. Right. So how do you think that Wellesley culture perceives success? Um, if there's a a definition that you could prescribe yeah. to Wellesley, I don't think that's it's, necessarily fair, but... Yeah, that's so hard to answer. Yeah. Or at least how I feel it is, is, like, Wellesley sees success as, like, a very individualized... Like, it's, like, success of self, mm-hmm. right? Like, you make yourself... The people who I think are the most successful are the ones that are not just, like, good at school, or they're talented in other things, or they're they have like really niche like passions like everyone's full of surprises i feel like a a successful person here or like how we define success here is like being a person that's like has like surprises up their sleeve and can be like oh like oh i actually know about this like blah blah blah, and be able to be like really casual with their skills and what they know and not have to like put all their cards on the table at once right and instead just be like mm, like i'm gonna be real low-key about this because i have like that ease yeah i think that's like really an ideal here yeah i think that's really that's really fair i think wellesley does a really good job promoting different strengths um can't say that about other colleges around the city right like we've met a lot of people who compartmentalize their life into what academics and maybe like one other thing yeah. that you're supposed to be good at and right. that is success but here, I think it does really... It's like you have to be a whole person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you're working towards. Right. Like, yeah. that's the entire point of these four years. Something I've been thinking about, which is really cynical, and I know I've mentioned mm-hmm. this to you before, but, like, we're all at college because we want to get a job after, right? Yeah. And so, would you say it's fair to say that a lot of us might define success, at least post-grad, as like a career as a career yeah and i feel like okay yeah like obviously i think career is like a big part of it for yeah like everyone yeah because like you can't help but think about like when you're applying to college you're like okay obviously like where am i gonna be after this but i also feel like a lot of people like me me including yeah um like approach the college application process with a very like narrow mindset not even narrow, just like a short-term mindset. When I was applying, I didn't look at like, I wasn't very focused on like stats of the student body. Mm-hmm. It was more like, oh, like this college has this acceptance rate. Right, and like that right. means something to me. And it's like a really shallow way to go about it because I didn't think about my like far out future yeah. when I was applying. I mean, Wellesley has like reputation of being very pre-professional career oriented. Yeah. Do you think that the people that you've met here fall into that? I think it's really hard to tell. Especially because we're all new. Yeah. So, like, every new person I meet, I feel like since we just got here, we only talk about, like, like what do you want to major in? Or, like, what classes are you in right now? And it's, like, so much more about forming these, like, closer relationships that aren't about, like, work or, like, professionalism. And right. it's just, like, we're just children trying to make friends. Yeah. Sometimes. And it's, like, hard to navigate that, like, double-sided life because we're, like, oh, like... I feel like a baby like I'm new to everything here I don't know where anything is like I'm trying to figure all this stuff out but then like looming in the background you're like uh like I can be like oh I'm successful and like the friends I've made and Mm -hmm. like I'm content here but then like 
yeah, like, I'm faced with the fact that, like, eventually I'll have to, like, find a bigger definition of success that isn't just, like, in my social circle. Yeah. Like, in my, like, I guess, like, more trivial life. Just scary. Yeah, it is. Being here in a really academic environment obviously has yeah it doesn't let you forget it doesn't let you forget but it also holds you accountable to what your ideals are and what your values are and you shouldn't let other people or other like the environment around you influence how you feel about it but thank you (laughs) thank you so much for your time i appreciate it cool Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. We'll be releasing the second episode a week from today, so stay tuned to hear more from us. And thank you to my committee for all the work y'all have done for this. It wouldn't be possible to do this without you.